Welcome to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts. I'm your host, Marty Elliott. Along with uh, uh, my guest today is Terry P. Shea, the Technical Director of Ontario Recreation Facilities Association. Good morning, Terry. Good morning, Marty. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm fantastic. Thanks for joining us again. This is, is this your second, third, fourth uh, time with us on a, a podcast? I, I think this is number three, and I, it, it's probably a, a good opportunity, Marty, for me to clarify uh, why the association is so connected with Zamboni and we're always glad to work with any of our corporate members and I've been asked a couple of times why why it is that I've been partnering with uh, with Zamboni and, and it's based solely on an invitation from your team. I mean you guys have taken the initiative and come up with some questions and said hey drop in and anybody out there who's set up to do podcasts the association is more than glad to uh, to accommodate them also. Yeah, to our listeners, take advantage of uh, this individual. Terry does have his knowledge on what's going on specifically uh, in Ontario with the uh, COVID-19. And specifically, again, the topic today is the OHA Ontario Hockey Association return to ice. So let's dig deep into this, Terry. We got some great great, uh, profile questions here. So I'm going to jump right at it. Clarity is required with respect to how the indoor limit of 50 is applied in the multi-use facility setting, being pool, arena, gym, meeting rooms. Can you expand on that for us, Terry? Well, I, 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 I can tell you, Marty, is that it's a complicated answer based on whatever region our members are in. So what's happening since this release came out at the end of July, the association asked for clarity in regards to how some of this could be applied. And the, the biggest issue is, is that the province of Ontario came out with a hard 50. And it didn't didn't matter how many square footage, how much square footage you had, how many entrances or how many egresses or how many ice sheets, dressing rooms. There was no variables. It said 50 people under one roof. So what our members need to understand is that bureaucracy, it can be complicated. So we got provincial government who's trying to figure out how best to come back to life. And they understand, I suspect, the diversity of the infrastructure in all recreation environments uh, across the province and beyond nationally. And so for them to try to come up with a a complete playbook that would look at every different design of a recreation facility would be way too complicated. We suspect that what they've done is capped it at 50 so that every building can get comfortable at 50. What everybody needs to understand is 50 is the first step on the ladder. Once they feel comfortable that we've got 50 under control, regardless of the size of the facility, then we suspect the number is going to grow and it will grow rapidly. They understand the importance for us to get people back into the building. So I think they've just hit the pause button. They're saying, look, make sure you got your act together at 50 and then we're going to move forward on to um, bigger operations. Now, that that's uh, part of the, the conversation we need to have here is that there's set regulation that the province has put out that everybody needs to conform to. But who we understand who's in control is the public health departments. In the province yeah. of Ontario, there are 34 different public health departments. And every right. one of them is a standalone entity by itself. So they get to decide what works in their region. So we're getting some members. I got a communication this week from a member who went to public health and they said, we really don't care how many you've got in your building as long as you're doing it safely. 
And then we've got others that are being right tight to the 50. They're staying completely to the legislation. So what our members need to understand is that public health is in control. Now, if you go to public health and say that you want to put out a plan that says, here's our plan to come back to life, what public health is doing is saying, well, look at it's really nice. We're not going to tell you what works or not. And they're partner members back towards their own legal department to say, look, if your legal team is happy with what you're doing, then we're happy with what you're doing. So even though the legislation says submit a plan, it seems to be a, almost like a roundabout door that they send the, the building back to their own legal department to get that approval. Well, you know, that's interesting because our industry is such a tight industry. The uh, the it's a big industry, but within Ontario, there's a lot of communication amongst the, you know, you have Clama, uh, you have Swarfa, uh, you have the folks Neora up north, and everyone communicates with each other. So what you're saying is these facilities need to go their, to their own um, public health uh, unit for their region. Is that what you're what you're referring to, or or? Well, no. Let's be clear, Marty. I, I mean, the, the provinces come out with with regulation, right? Regulation is minimal. It means that right now that's the maximum you can go to. We've got some members who say, you know what, we're going to stick with 25 based on the number of dressing rooms that we've got. It's more manageable for us to have 25 people uh, on an ice surface versus 50. So we're going to reduce that. Right now the maximum is 50. Public health becomes that point of contact if you've got any questions, if you want to exceed current regulations. What we like to remind our members is that we got to be control, in control of our own house. So as long as we've got a comfort level internally from our senior advisors, whoever the facility manager reports to in regards to the way that we're conducting business, we've done our due diligence by talking to our partners. And that, that might include our, our risk managers, whether our insurance carriers, public health, and then what others in the, in the region are doing. And then we come up with a balance in regards to the way that we want to conduct business. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you're probably in great shape. I mean, lots of conversation in regards to, do we need to get our users to buy uh, COVID-19 insurance? Well, the question becomes is, where do you buy it? Because right now, every insurance carrier is going, whoa, 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 we, we, yeah. we're going to want to insure COVID-19, right? There's so, a beehive. I, I mean, that, that's it exactly. So what we were talking about earlier here this morning with some of the some of the groups that uh, are are trying to figure out how they're going to come back to life because as much as we're talking about ice service a lot of our members are not just dealing with ice services they've got a building that's got a swimming pool in it and a community hall in it so the complexities of 50 under a roof means that i can have 10 in the pool and 10 on the ice and maybe 25 in the community hall uh, for a blood donors clinic at any given time. So they're, they're really trying to figure it out. It's one thing for a single pad arena to say, I can only have 50 in the building. You can appreciate how complicated it gets when it is a multi-purpose facility and the complexities in trying to, to deal with it. And then they're trying to figure out the staffing. Like how do we clean and sanitize the buildings that we're at? So there, there's a lot of questions that are unknown at this point in time. Yeah, and and definitely uh, head in the clouds, uh, not intentionally, but everyone's looking up and going, okay, what do we do um, uh, with our own facility being a single pad, as you said, or a multi-purpose facility? Let's talk about multi-purpose facilities. Uh, do indoor indoor gym facilities have the similar allowance, or is that including the 50 uh, overall uh, patrons in the actual complete facility? Okay, so what we know 
And, and when I say we know is that uh, CAO John Milton uh, for the association has set mm -hmm. on a task team uh, with the minister's office. And it's our understanding that it is a 50 total. Now, like I said, that's not being applied equally across the province based on communications with local public health officials. So mm. every member has got to read the legislation and interpret it specific to their operation. There's just not one turnkey that's going to fit to uh, to everybody's liking. Yeah, I mean, and that's the biggest thing, uh, understanding, reading, um, being uh, informed as far as our members of, uh, of the Ontario Recreation Facility Association, um, based on their actual, uh, their footprint of what they're uh, working within. So if 50 is the building max, can pods of 50 be created in each uh, area of the building? And if so, what other considerations might be implemented? No, you can't make, so we understand, Marty, right now, you can't have pods of 50 in the building. It is 50, five, 50 zero. So five, I can't zero. have 50 in the pool and I can't have 50 in the rink. It's a total of 50. Now that does not include staff. Staff is above and beyond that, all right? right. So we understand that's where it's at. Okay, and volunteers, would they uh, fall under the 50? So we understand that they fall underneath the 50, but again, there's some variation in regards to uh, um, allowable limits in regards to what it is they're exactly doing as a volunteer. Right, interesting. So is there an exemption uh, process for municipalities um, uh, based on the government, uh, government uh, of Ontario's uh, policies? I wouldn't uh, suggest it was an exemption. The province allows an opportunity for uh, an individual operation to submit a plan uh, in regards to how they would like to reopen it. And maybe the best example I can give you is that we still have parts of our province that are in phase two. So when you get down into the Windsor, Leamington area, uh, they were still in phase two when most of the other provinces were in phase three. So right. what it allowed was a recreation facility to make an application with a plan uh, for consideration for them to be able to open up uh, in phase two equally to what was happening in a phase three region. But then right. I then I, I bring back the conversation where plans have been submitted and they get turned around to the internal legal department and public health. So that that's the complexities of it. Okay. So let's move over to uh, sanitization and cleaning. What is what is the uh, actual required, uh, when they say required as frequently frequently as necessary, what does that mean? I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to you to speak to our facilities and, and what, their, what their interpretation of that is. What is that interpretation? What, what's the definition of it? So the expectation is that uh, the high contact areas such as a dressing room are supposed to be cleaned after each use. Mm -hmm. So okay. that, that's basically what we're looking at. And any other high contact points, public washrooms. But you know what, this is a great uh, point that we bring into the topic in regards to our user groups like OHA or Skate Canada. Because for an example, Skate Canada uh, recently released their documents and their, their most recent document. And in there, I believe it indicates that they don't expect any of their users to use the dressing rooms. So yeah. that becomes complicated in regards to uh, the different uh, the different building designs that are out there because uh, 
because what happens is not every one of them is going to be able to set up to accommodate um, users in, let's say, a common area like a lobby to put their skates on. So Correct. does that mean that every player has or, or every uh, participant has to put their skates on in the parking lot and then come into the building that way? So the questions that we get from our members are saying, OK, how does that how does that how do we control that? And the response should be back. We don't control it. These are their operational conditions, not the facility's operational conditions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Interesting. So uh, I'll go back to uh, previous stage two. Uh, when arenas were uh, starting, some arenas were opening up to have uh, instructional training. And in that uh, scenario, uh, uh, anyone involved as far as a user of instructional training, they had to come with equipment on um, and enter the building with equipment on, couldn't use dressing rooms, had to put their skates on in the lobby. Where does that sit now? So, well, and that, based, on, based on what you're saying uh, already. Well, what you need to understand is, and, and what we try to emphasize with our members is that no user can tell us how they're gonna use our building. Mm -hmm. Like the, the tail doesn't wag the dog here. So the building's gotta make sure that it's got clear guidelines and protocols in place that it's sharing with its user groups. Now, if the user group wants to go above and beyond what the facility has in place, fill your boots. I mean, go ahead and do that. But what they need to understand is that they need to conform to what our expectations are to meet our operational obligations. Anything they do above and beyond, that's left with them. And they also now need to control it. They need to relay that information to facility management, but in the end of the day they've got they've got to be able to deal with it so for an example one of the questions that came up with is how does the facility deal with the storage and historically we've been self-storage facilities uh, because our users believe that they have an inherited right to leave their stuff around our facilities uh, so they don't have to take it home well who's responsible to clean and disinfect stuff that doesn't belong to the facility mm -hmm. realistically we should be telling our users to take their stuff home so the conversation we had this morning was, what do we do with the boards, the divider boards that Hockey right, Canada right. brought in? Who's responsible mm -hmm. for the cleaning, disinfection, and storage of this equipment? Well, now it comes back to, well, what's the relationship you have with the user groups? Because we have some buildings who were very generous and went out and invested in the cross-ice boards or, or whatever they're using for a barrier, and they paid for it uh, as part of the relationship they had with the user group where we have others that the user group actually went out and purchased it as part of their program and they store it at our facility. Well, if I've bought it and I own it, it's my baby. If right. they bought it and they own it, it's their baby. But as the facility manager, I'm responsible to make sure that their cleaning and disinfection plan for their equipment meets my expectations or obligations underneath the regulation. Interesting. Interesting. So the regional health units, uh, 34 or 37, I think you mentioned uh, earlier, what is their expectation through the province of Ontario for facilities when it comes to contract uh, contact tracing? What is the expectation of the facilities to uh, make sure they document or, or is there anything in place? 
underneath the regulation uh, for contact for sport facilities, there's no expectation for contact tracing. So what we need to remind, uh, and what I'm hearing from members is their legal department is very antsy when it comes to collecting personal data. Because once right. we start to collect personal data, we're responsible to make sure that it doesn't go rogue, it doesn't disappear. So um, most legal are saying, so I understand for our members are staying away from contact tracing data collection uh, only for um, uh, uh, to ensure that it doesn't go uh, going missing and then they become responsible for it. But that's going to be on a case by case basis. If a public health department says, look at as part of your plan, you have to have this then you have to have it. Regulation. So we understand currently says that there is not an obligation for sports facilities to have a contact tracing plan in place. It's interesting because um, in the retail environment or restaurant to food service environment, I know myself, I've had to uh, provide my name, now only first name and phone number um, for uh, uh, dinners, uh, restaurants, um, uh, golf courses. And so um, I guess in that industry, uh, those segments, they've taken their own initiative to be able to do that. Um, that's not being pushed by the uh, regional health units then? Well, I, I think we get a little bit of a caveat, Marty. And, and again, uh, my feeling is this. We have rental agreements with everybody that comes into our facilities. So for an example, Marty Elliott is my contact for the old timers that play on Friday night. If I've got a contact issue, I'm going to get a hold of Marty, who's going to get a hold of his 37 teammates and let them know that the arena has had an outbreak. So we've kind of got a, a semi-quasi-control. Going to be different for public skating, obviously. But in the end of the day, uh, if there would be an outbreak that comes out of a facility, social media is going to be quick to say that there was an outbreak that come out of ABC Recreation Facility, and if you were in it in the last... 48 hours, you should get your butt over and get uh, some sort of testing done. So I suspect right. that's the way that that's going to happen. So here's the, here's the million dollar question. No physical contact, uh, no sustained contact in a contact team sport. What does that mean? I mean, I play hockey still. I play in a men's league. There's, there's rubbing out in the boards and that. Um, we're not playing right now, of course. But I mean, how does that get managed where you don't have contact? Uh, how do you please that? We both know you can't, right? Yeah. But what we yeah. want to do is we want to put the word out that under regular circumstances, it's not supposed to happen. Will it happen? Will it happen accidentally? Yes. But we're going to do what we want to do is encourage everyone to do everything in their power to avoid contact as much as possible. So mm. in the end of the day, how are we going to control it and police it? It's going to be self-governed. I mean, ultimately, uh, the individuals that are using our facilities are stakeholders, and they've got a responsibility to take care of the take care of themselves. So we mm -hmm. hope that everybody respects it. Now, from a facility operational uh, side of things, if we note that uh, a league or a team or teams are not conforming, then it's our responsibility to to step in and start to control that. Uh, and if it from a warning all the way down to you don't get your rental next time because you don't seem to be playing by the rules. That that becomes the uh, the uh, objective, I guess. Right. So in a clear case scenario, any facility in Ontario that is in uh, phase three, maximum 50 people, 
in their facility, multi-purpose or single pad, they can actually rent ice to, let's say, XYZ Beer League. Is that a fair statement? Yep. All right. That that considers that that is now your bubble in regards to um, the, the availability to come in and use the facility under under the care and control or the guidance of whatever the rules are. Right. So yeah. let's move over to minor hockey, uh, the Minor Hockey Association of Ontario. When do you see the registration? When do you think it's going to open? Well, you know, Marty, I, I, again, that there's going to be so many variables with this one because um, of the different municipalities that are involved. Like, I mean, uh, speaking with a group this morning, we got some that are not going to put ice in until October, and we've got others that are preparing to put in ice this week. So what mm -hmm. they're trying to figure out, and and this is the this is the interesting component of it is how much is our users ready to invest in us opening the building? What are they ready to commit to? So I know that they're going to be in a difficult position based on their registration levels. Uh, are mm -hmm. they going to require the same amount of ice? Am I going to be in a position to be able to provide them with the same ice schedules that they had last year, given the fact that I now have to get in and clean between uh, every use means that my schedule may not be uh, uh, as open and flexible as it was last year because I may need more time. And so now a, a, an hour ice rental is an hour and 15 minutes or an hour and 20 minutes before the next group can get on. Who eats that 20 minutes? Does the municipality or the owner of the facility lose that revenue source? Do we adjust our user fees? Is there an appetite for our user groups to pay more in user fees? We know the answer to that. They never want to pay more. But what yeah. I need to do is, is I got to reverse engineer this. And what I need to do is I need to go back to my supervisors and say, look, at, based on the current level of service that we're ready to provide and what we lost in revenue when we shut down on March 18th, you need to understand that come December 31st, I'm going to be a half a million dollars short in revenues from the budget calculations that we had in place when we shut down. Are you okay with me being a half a million dollars short? And really, that's my responsibility as the facility managers to put a business plan in place so that the senior leaders are not surprised or shocked that in fact they're uh, they're they're on the hook for this much money. Now it, it'll come down again of how much money the province and the and the federal government is going to uh, put in place to uh, support municipalities and and how much of it actually will find find its way in recreation. So uh, the hockey organizations or the skating clubs that are out there, they've got their own return to play protocols. Now we right. have to figure out if, in fact, we can marry these together and if, in fact, what they need to do and what we have to do actually fits together or if there's going to be difficulties that need to be dealt with. Yeah, that is the big, big, big challenge right now is marrying those two, the facilities with their local uh, minor hockey and skating uh, associations to make it work um, so that everyone stays healthy during this uh, process, COVID-19 and still gets the enjoyment of using the facility and it's a win-win all the way around. Terry, anything else you want to add to, to the conversation today outside of what we've talked about? Well, I, I mean, there's there's a lot of unknowns and I think I said this in one of the other uh, podcasts we did, Marty, is that we're forced as an industry to go back to being pioneers. Uh, 
I mean, if we went before March 18th, 2020, most of the challenges that we had as an industry, we had somewhat of a control. Now, I mean, obviously there's always, you know, variables to what we were doing as an industry, but now the clock's been completely reset. There's not one plan that's going to work for every facility. And we're going to go down some roads that we're going to have to back up and go in a different direction. I mean, one of the concerns that we've got as an organization is that we're going to put a whole bunch of, of guidelines in place. And you brought that up as one of your questions. How are we going to deal with those that are, you know, maybe not playing by the expectations for no contact? What, what we've had historically is that the facility manager go home, goes home at five o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And he leaves frontline staff to deal with these situations. And have they got the toolbox to be able to move forward with the protection of the guidelines and the individuals that are coming into our buildings? So, I mean, in, in the province of Ontario and no different than all the other provinces and territories in the province, there's, a, there's an obligation to have violence in the workplace training. So if we haven't hit the refresh button on that one and mm -hmm. have them adequately prepared and we all watch the news. We see that there's individuals out there that are not buying into the mask wearing, not being judgmental. But the reality is, is that we've brought a policy into our operations that says to come in here, you must. How staff going to deal with the individual who is the radical that says, no, I'm not conforming for whatever beliefs they may have. The reality is, is that that frontline staff member has got a policy to be able to deal with it. So that's something that's going to have to be done. The next one, I'm trying to get a, at least a compass bearing on because I don't have a really good warm and fuzzy feeling on how we're going to deal with the HVAC systems. The, the air circulation inside, and we talked on, on, on our first podcast on that one, and I can tell you yep. that the sticks haven't moved on that one. I, I don't wow. have any clear direction. Yeah, there's some great documents that are out there, but again, the variables for every building in regards to the infrastructure they've got in place, it's it's an individual-based operational requirement. And if you look at the science, they're saying, look, it, we can expect an uptick as soon as the cold weather shows up. Warm weather, it doesn't spread as quickly. Cold weather, mm, it becomes a little bit more rampant. And we know that because what happens in the fall when we go back to school, everybody seems to get a cold, right? For whatever yep. reason, uh, we come in close contact with. Now, the, the other issue that we've got that really hasn't come to the forefront here is that most facilities have not dealt with the staffing issue. We are chronically understaffed in regards to being able to properly maintain, operate, clean, sanitize, and disinfect recreation facilities. Bottom line is we can't do it with the staffing levels that we had in March. So not only have I got reduced revenues, I've got increased costs that have to be in place for me to be able to open the doors and move forward. And I don't think everybody's there yet in regards to having an adequate amount of staff. Mm -hmm. Reemphasize the point that any building that believes that the operator is going to be their cleaning and disinfection team has got a really bad plan in place. It's not going to work. They didn't have enough time to operate the building before March 18th. 
They really are not going to have the time to do the things that are in place. And just think of the, the different things that we put in place. How much plexiglass is now out there that has to be cleaned and disinfected on a regular basis that never existed before? How much more time does that get added to the, the, to the whole system? It'll be interesting to see what happens when the schools go back into place, right? I mean, this this is going to be like the canary in the coal mine. We're pushing all those little kids back into those environments in anticipation that nothing's going to happen. But on the news every day, we've seen summer camps that have had to close down and rec facilities that have to clean and disinfect. So we can expect a problem in the schools and the problem in the schools those same kids leave at four o'clock and where are they heading? They're heading to our swimming pools, our ice rinks, our community halls. And if they picked it up there, then we can expect to inherit it. No different than we did with the with the common, uh, common cold. Now, one of the things that I emphasize to our members is look at, as tough as it was in March 18th when they walked away, Marty, and we cut down and we shut down these buildings mm -hmm. without a plan. Like we walked away on March 18th without a plan. What they need to have in place very clearly is how are we going to shut down in a moment's notice if in fact there is a flare-up? Hopefully there's not, but if there is, guess what? We don't have the luxury of going into the spring months. We're going into the winter months. We can't walk away from these buildings. There needs to be somebody in there to manage the water, the heating systems. Mm -hmm. They can't be staffless. So we need to make sure that senior staff understand clearly that we don't we don't have the same plan as a spring plan. We can't send our, our staff away. Now, sooner or later, the, the birds are going to come home to roost here. Right now, we're in the honeymoon phase, as I consider it to be. Everybody's mm -hmm. trying to be supportive and, and you know, uh, um, trying to figure out how we're going. Nobody wants to be laid off in regards to our industry. Sooner or later, the, the bills are going to come onto the table and the bean counter is going to say, look, at, we need to come up with a half a million dollars. And if our facilities are not generating or operating, recreation staff are going to have to expect that they're going to get laid off in the next go around. Hopefully just, I'm wrong, but the, but reality would suggest that that society cannot continue to pay people for remedial work just for the, the, the sense of keeping them employed. Now, how much longer the provincial and federal government can subsidize uh, other oper other businesses? Uh, but municipalities did not qualify for the wage subsidy, right? They they mm -hmm. basically nope. ate the costs as we move forward. So this next round, if there is a next round, is not going to look like the last round. It's going to be more difficult, in in my opinion, in regards to how we're going to have to be prepared to manage this. And, and again, Marty, there's not one plan that's going to work. What's going to happen in Terrace Bay versus what happens in Toronto? are going to be two different animals, totally different because they're two different zoos. So how, how we're going to be able to move forward uh, as an industry is going to be difficult. I'm, I hope I'm wrong, but I really think that this is going to pressurize some of these smaller communities with aged buildings that are going to have to make decisions to board these up, board them up or to look at different ways to operate them. So, I mean, I, I if anybody's been reading Facility Forum, we put out a great article a while ago on Echo Bay, on how yes. they approach keeping their ice rink 
uh, in a northern community without a refrigeration plant, reducing their costs uh, significantly. Uh, McDougal Township, a bang on outdoor rink that still allows them to provide, uh, 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 you know, the the uh, the environment for uh, skating uh, mm -hmm. at a at a reduced cost. So creativity in regards to some of these smaller communities to be able to provide. Um, the uh, the amenities that we want for recreational activities are are going to be in place. Now, one of the things I noticed on Twitter yesterday was, and and my comment was finally a, a sign of sanity from the minor hockey organizations in regards to the way that they want to conduct business moving forward. In reality, right. Marty, that if all the stakeholders don't come together and come up with a plan on how we're actually going to get kids back into these buildings, the buildings are going to close. If they're not going to be used taxpayers are not going to be able to afford to keep uh, public amenities open that are not going to be used. We need water, we need sewer, we need fire protection. It's sort of like the same uh, 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 items that we need in our own hot lives in our own homes. Do we need the camper in the backyard? Eh, you know what, we can probably do without it for a couple of years until we get back on our feet again and then we'll buy another one or we'll go in a, in a different way in regards to the way that we're recreating or doing our recreational activities. So mm -hmm. um, I like to suggest that where we are right now with COVID-19 is the plates underneath the ocean are just shifting. The tsunami hasn't hit yet, but it's coming. And yeah. we need to be prepared to be able to deflect or, or at least be in a survival mode when it does hit for some operations. Some operations are going to get off unscathed. Others are going to be in a difficult position to be able to survive based on their tax base, no question. It's interesting you talked about municipalities and uh, layoffs. I think it was uh, the city of Vaughan, if I, not, I heard correctly last week, uh, is laying off 1,100 of their uh, staff. I think it was the city of Vaughan. I'm not sure if that, if I'm correct on that. Did you read that, uh, Terry? I, I had not heard, but the, the sooner or later, the there's only one place a municipality has got flexibility to reduce their budget. They can't negotiate with their insurance carrier. They can't negotiate with their electrical provider. They can't, you know, um, negotiate with um, all the other hard costs that are associated with their operations. There's only one pond that they usually get to go to, and that's the human side of things. And in our business, this is one time that they can't reduce the staff and the facility. We actually have to increase it if we're going to provide service. So, I mean, typically what I'm hearing, and th this is just a just a um, a gauge, all right, is that an operation that was running with one operator before to offer the service has now had a had to go to a minimum of three per shift. Wow. To be able to 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 meet the protocols that are in place in regards to cleaning and disinfection. So, are they union wage jobs? Well, that's going to be negotiated on a case by case basis, right? And and realistically, housekeeping, cleaning, and disinfection, in my opinion, is not a minimum wage job. You need some highly skilled, motivated individuals that are going to be invested in what needs to be accomplished. Uh, and if, if they're not properly compensated, you can expect that there's going to be cracks in that armor. So, um, that, that, like I said, it's not an easy move uh, as we try and figure things out as we go along here. No doubt. And I doubt for uh, one second that uh, municipalities, uh, parks and recs are going to use a third party to come in and do that. 
um, just due to the fact the revenue is not there to be able to afford to have a third party like a Windmar or whatever come in and uh, do the cleaning for them. So yeah, that's going to be a tough decision. Some, tough some decision. of them will go down that road, but that doesn't reduce our our responsibilities or our 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 liabilities, and that that mm -hmm. needs to be clear also. I I mean I've heard some great success stories by farming out some of the operational side. And I've heard some real, real horror stories in regards mm -hmm. to having relationships with outside contractors. So that's not a silver bullet or a panacea in regards to the way that uh, we might be able to conduct business moving forward. Interesting. You know, you touched on a point uh, 26 days from now, uh, all the kids are going back to school based here in Ontario, based on what the uh, PC government has uh, put out uh, for back to school uh, uh, in the fall. Um, attendance is taken, of course, so contract contact contact tracing is there we talked about contact tracing what's your opinion on it do you foresee do you think uh, facilities should take it make an effort of having uh, documentation or contact tracing available uh, because Johnny or Susie going to school they might uh, pick up a cold they might unfortunately be test positive uh, for COVID-19 where did it happen at school or at the rink well, I, I, I think it'll come down to how we're going to collect that data. So uh, having had the privilege to get back into the classroom uh, a little bit more than a week ago, uh, and I spent some time in motels and, and restaurants also, it's uh, one thing when you have a limited amount of people that are coming into a restaurant in a very controlled environment, and there wasn't a rush to get into any of the restaurants that I was in. They were pretty spor uh, sporadic in regards mm. to uh, the number of people that were in there. So collecting that data fairly simplified where we're turning them over every hour. So how are mm -hmm. we going to do that electronically? Are we adding another staff? Um, it, it's it, Like I said to you earlier in, in our conversation, I, I, I think we're in a different position with the contracts that we've got. And I think that we build that communication into follow our website it's not your responsibility if there is any issues with our building we're going to send out a, an alert we're on twitter we're on instagram we're on facebook uh, we encourage you to uh, save with our social media so that you can keep up keep up the speed in regards to what's going on sure let's recap uh, terry uh the top three points that you want to uh, uh share with the uh listeners uh specifically in our association um, where, what are those top three points? Let's uh, recap them if you can. Well, we're, we're hoping that our members have uh, followed the uh, the suggestions that we've put out in our, our re-entry uh, document. And uh, is staff actually prepared to deal with what's ahead? This is not business as usual. Have you in fact invested in preparing staff long-term not short term, because we all know that there's a very high turnover of staffing in the recreation industry. Plus, we use a fair amount of part-time staff. So, uh, re uh, realistically, and it's not to be critical, because often we just don't have the time resources uh, to be able to do what's supposed to be done. Most people are not even current with their women's training or any of the other obligated responsibilities under the different pieces of legislation to make sure that staff are up to speed. There's some that are really keen, majority unfortunately aren't doing the basics. So is staff actually ready to deal with what they had? Have they got the proper training? Have you invested in cleaning and disinfection tools? 
Are you actually prepared to be able to maintain a safe environment? So I think that's got to be number one. Number mm -hmm. two uh, is, is dealing with our user groups. We need to have that strong relationship with our user groups. It's fantastic that the structured ones that have invested so much time and resources, but you know, I, I'm old enough and wise enough and experienced enough to know that just because a, 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 um, the mothership organization has put out these protocols doesn't mean that their frontline staff are going to, or, or volunteers are going to follow it. I mean, uh, you, you take a look at minor hockey. They brought in years ago that the only way that a hockey team goes into a dressing room is that if there's two certified coaches inside the dressing room. One of the biggest uh, challenges our members were having was that these two certified coaches didn't want to go in the dressing room. They wanted their own area that they could go and not have to be with the kids. Or who was the first, uh, the last one at the rink and the first one out? Last one at the rink was the coach, and he was the or he or she was the first one gone. So it's great that they have all these protocols, but I'm hoping that they're prepared to invest in policing their own organizations for compliance because if they expect us to do that, that's just that's not that's unacceptable. So we need to sure. come up with some sort of process that makes sure that you know what we're going to identify to the to the mothership that that you know this team is not doing what you guys have laid out and the uh, the team has got to accept that that's our responsibility is to be their gatekeeper so that'll be difficult and then ultimately the last one and i can't emphasize this enough is to be prepared to close on a moment's notice with a very detailed plan and if there's any advice i can give to our members is put that plan on their desk as soon as possible while the water is calm get approval because if you try and force this when the when all hell breaks loose uh it, we're going to get lost because they're going to be back dealing with the key partners in every operation the fire the water the, you know the the dealing with homeless people etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah uh, that uh, great advice terry great advice i mean uh, listening and talking to many of our uh, uh, members in the association um, that I deal with, uh, they're all putting their plans in place to open up their rinks and best practices and SOP and all that. Your last point, talking about if things were to go south again, second wave, let's hope not, um, what is your plan to uh, deal with that issue? And uh, that is a great point. That is a great point. I want to bring in uh, Doug Peters, our regional uh, sales manager out of Paramount, uh, uh, California. Doug, did you want to ask any questions to uh, Terry? No, I think Terry covered it uh, quite well. It's interesting to listen in and hear what's going on uh, in Ontario. Uh, I'm trying to take and catch uh, the state's organizations. It's always great to have uh, someone like Terry with all the experience he does. Uh, and ORFA with what they're doing to try to uh, get rinks back open. And, and that seems to be the challenge. And, uh, you know, down here in the States, we've got 50 of them uh, that all aren't on uniform plans and uh, the different politicians that are overseeing things. So it, it, it's challenging. And all we really want, you know, I think uh, all of us in this conversation want us to get the rinks open, get them open safely and try to get uh, the, the guests to these facilities uh, back in them so that they can recreate. Well said, well said. 
Terry, anything else you want to add before uh, we bring this to a close? Well, just a couple of things to build on uh, on Doug's comments, and, and it's great that you know that everybody or, or a lot of individuals uh, look to the association for guidance. But in reality, uh, all we are is a voice of the industry. We we get to collect from our members their experiences, both positive and negative and at least come up with some sort of direction for others to consider as they as they design what they need to do to go back into business. So as much as the association gets to be the voice uh, of the industry, uh, we rely on the frontline staff to share their information so that we get to move forward. So I can't overemphasize that. So my last comments, which is not really COVID-19 related, uh, is a shout out to... Uh, our friends running the Red Lake uh, Arena that are in evacuation yes. mode up there. Yes. Uh, so another prime example of how the hockey rink becomes the focal point in an emergency situation. And so uh, our thoughts and prayers are with them up there in regards to the crisis that they're currently uh, encountering. And then what we need to do is that we need to thank our friends in Thunder Bay and Dryden because where are the evacuees going? They're going off to recreation facilities again. So again, yep. uh, ORFA members are in the trenches uh, above and beyond what they're dealing with in regards to COVID-19. Now they're going to have to apply everything that we've been talking about in an emergency mm -hmm. situation to try and keep everybody safe that have come from what should be considered a bubble organization into another environment that we have now got there. The, those members are got a, a, a real dragon to deal with in regards to what has been thrust upon them without notice um, in regards to their operation. So our, our like I said, our hearts uh, go out to them and our respect in regards to the way that they're responding uh, and making the industry look as, uh, as, as important in, uh, as, as what we are. Yeah, definitely to our industry uh, leaders up there. And as you uh, made note of Red Lake, Dryden, Thunder Bay, uh, Godspeed, and uh, our thoughts and prayers are with them for sure. Well, Terry, I want to thank you for uh, spending the time with me today and talking about this. It's a very important subject. And uh, I uh, look forward to uh, feedback from our listeners that will be listening to this episode. I want to thank everyone for listening to another episode of uh, Ask the Zamboni Experts podcast. By the way, if you have a question for one of our experts or an idea for a future podcast, episode please email your questions or requests to info at zamboni.com terry i know you're running podcasts through the uh, association maybe you want to share a little bit about what that is and uh, what uh, how people can listen to your podcast yeah well i mean everybody's trying to look for different vehicles to be able to service the members and get the information out there and we did that uh, we've gone into the uh, the podcast uh, side of things the, the next one we got coming up is actually an interesting one uh, we uh, spoke with uh, Jessica Jaramchuk at uh, Frank County Company about electronic logbooks and mm -hmm. how the uh, the courts are taking a look at us collecting data uh, in that format. So it's interesting because we were looking at what's happening with the Technical Safety and Standard Authority and the changes, proposed changes to the Operating Engineer Regulation. And that was one of the key features that they had talked about is that they are going to accept electronic logbooks and they, they give some cl clarifiers and quantifiers in regards to how an electronic logbook uh, can be used. So what I found interesting was is that they say, yep, feel free to use your iPad or notepad or whatever you want to collect the data, 
but at the end of every day, you still have to print it out and put it in a logbook. So you can't right. house it electronically, right? So right. Uh, th this is a, a new environment for us. I mean, obviously we have our ice reservers or logbooks. It would be simplified for us to be able to collect that data in an electronic format. Uh, we just got to make sure that we're warehousing it correctly. Zable so that if there are any issues now now a big difference is that under the operating engineer regulation it's a regulatory responsibility to create and maintain a logbook where the ice reservist or one is just best practice it's not a legal sure. obligation but uh, mm -hmm. you as a manufacturer really like to have that information when it comes to service and and how your equipment is responding uh, and i need it for the life cycle of of the uh, of the building so uh, we're no different uh, than the way that you guys, we try and grab those hot button topics and, and have a fireside chat, just like we've had over the last little while here. Uh, mm -hmm. And if anybody's got uh, something specific that either you and I can talk about, always glad to chat with you or something at the association, because it's maybe uh, off on uh, another part of the recreation operation outside the rink that, uh, that we might want to focus in on. We're always glad to hear from uh, members or non-members that are interested in what's, uh, what's happening. Sure. How can the uh, listeners uh, listen to the podcast that you're doing with, uh, with Orpha, Terry? Where do they go? To, to your website? or? Yeah, they go to the website and anything that we do always comes out in e-news. So if you're a member of the association, uh, you're going to get it in e-news and feel free to click on it. Failing that, they can just get a hold of info at orfa.com and staff will be glad to point them in the right direction on how they can access anything that we have available. That's great, Terry. Great. Listen, again, thanks for the time you spent with me today. It was a great topic and look forward to spending more time with you in the future. And for our listeners, for more information and additional podcast episodes, please visit Zamboni.com forward slash podcast or search Ask the Zamboni Experts on your Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify. This is Marty Elliott, your guest, uh, Terry Pichet. I wish you an ice day.